copy of God's Word. Let's turn together to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, our text is the first 19 verses as Jesus makes his way to the cross. We'll find ourselves just eight days or so from that time. But in order to hear what God has for us this morning, we need the Holy Spirit's help. Let's pray together. Worthy is the Lamb. Lord Jesus, you are worthy. You are excellent and beautiful and glorious and delightful. And you desire to satisfy us with yourself. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do that. We ask that you would open our eyes of faith this morning so that we might understand, but more, that we might cling hold of Jesus by faith, knowing that he is for us. He's for us. Lord, grant us this grace, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Six days before Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowds that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look! The world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
If we were going to take the time this morning, I'm sure that all of us could tell stories or of situations that uh, at the time that they happened to us were utterly unintelligible. They were like a riddle. We couldn't figure out why in the world these things were happening. But, but now, as we look back on those events from this particular vantage point, we, we can say to ourselves, oh, that's why that happened. Maybe you started out at one college, but, but for various reasons, you made the difficult decision to transfer to another school. And, and a semester later at that new school, um, you, you meet the person who would eventually become your spouse. And here you are, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years later. And you can think back to that time when you had to make that difficult decision. And now you would say, oh, well, that's why it happened. Or you have a horrible experience in a particular job. One that makes you question whether you even want to be in that field at all. And so you decide to pivot. And you pursue a passion that actually ends up becoming a profitable career path. And as you celebrate five or ten years in that, in that new endeavor, you think back to that particular job and how miserable it was and, and the decision to leave. And you say, oh... That's why it happened. Or you walk through an awful illness, one that leaves you physically debilitated for months, and, and slowly you start to come out of that illness, but along the way, your walk with Jesus, it's become real, perhaps for the very first time. And here you are, and you would never want to go through that experience of debility again, but, but you can say as you look back, oh, that's why it happened. Well, to be sure, there are many circumstances in our lives for which we really do have no clue. Uh, they seem to be riddles. And we, we never seem to figure out this side of glory, why in the world they've happened to us. Whether it's sadness or hardness or evil done by us or evil done to us, that makes no sense at all. But because we're meaning-making creatures, we, we tend to want to connect the dots, don't we? between what has happened and what it all means. Which, which is exactly what the disciples do in this passage, isn't it? You, you notice it at the end of the reading. In verse 16, John writes, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Of course, this isn't the only time that the, that the Apostle John has said or will say this in his gospel, uh, in John chapter 2, um, we saw it many, many months ago now, when Jesus cleanses the temple and speaks of destroying the temple and in three days raising the temple again. John tells us there that when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered and they believed the scripture. And in the next chapter after our text this morning, John chapter 13, when Jesus is washing his disciples' feet and, and Peter objects to it, Jesus will tell Peter, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. And obviously for the disciples, that's the case. They, they didn't understand what Jesus was doing at the time, in the moment, or they didn't understand what was happening to Jesus in the moment, but, 
But later, they were able to say, oh, now I understand. But it's the case for us as well. In fact, I can say unequivocally that that God has one purpose for all that happens in your life. Whether you're experiencing blessing or, or buffeting, whether you're experiencing success or sadness, whether you're experiencing happiness or heartbreak. And here's the purpose that God has. He he wants to lead you to see the glory and excellency and beauty of Jesus as the only one who can satisfy your heart. And that's because what we've understood now is that Jesus is a substitute and a savior. And he's the resurrected Lord and the, and the glorified and glorious King. And because he is these things for us, he's able to satisfy us. He's able to be the soul satisfier. The disciples had yet to discover this. And they didn't really understand the true meaning of, of Jesus' death at this point. This, this chapter opens on the Saturday prior to what we know as Holy Week. Jesus has come back to Bethany in order to have dinner with Lazarus and his family. And no one's really gotten over the fact that Lazarus has been raised from the dead, that Lazarus is alive. In fact, three times in this passage, Lazarus is identified as the one whom Jesus raised from the dead. It shows up in verse 1, shows up in verse 9, and shows up again in verse 17. And so perhaps dinner was not just for Jesus, But dinner was a celebration for Lazarus, who was once dead, but is now alive by Jesus' amazing grace. And so the scene gets set in the first part of John chapter 12. Martha is in her accustomed position as the server. Lazarus is reclining at the table. And then this strange thing happens. What is this about, this, this anointing? Verse 3, you see it. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Commentators will spend a lot of time combing over the details of John's telling of Jesus' anointing and comparing it to Mark and Matthew especially and trying to sort out the differences. Um, Instead of getting into those differences, for now, let's just observe this. By the time you get to verse 3, Mary comes and she too assumes her her natural position with Jesus. Every time Mary shows up in this text, she ends up at Jesus' feet. And she pours out this expensive perfume. It's a smaller amount of the same perfume that will be used to embalm Jesus' body after he dies on the cross. And in place of the stench of Lazarus' death and decay, remember what Martha said? Lord, he's been in the grave four days. He stinks. In place of of the stench of Lazarus' death and decay, John has this little detail that the perfume, the fragrance of the perfume fills the house. What does it all mean? What what does this extravagant act, this perfume, what appears to be a prodigal waste, this anointing, what does it mean? It's all unintelligible in the moment, isn't it? At least it was unintelligible to Judas. Look at what Judas says in verse 4. 
Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, said, Why was this anointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, on the surface, Judas sounds like someone who's utterly altruistic. Someone who really has a heart for those who tra- are trapped in poverty. Why, why this waste? This, this spending out on Jesus? Those, with this waste of resource upon him? And especially upon his feet in this way? It, it doesn't make any sense. But there are several things that weren't obvious in the moment. That would become obvious later. Where, where the disciples could say, oh, now I understand And the first thing was that Judas was a thief. That's what John says in verse 6. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Apparently, Jesus' ministry was funded through a common purse or through a common money bag. As people gave them alms, it would go into that money bag and they would use it to sustain the ministry. And Judas was the keeper of that fund. And he regularly, as the disciples discovered later, helped himself to what was put in. Can you imagine? He embezzled funds from Jesus. He was a thief. But he was a thief that sought to destroy that's what John would come to understand, but, but it's what we should have understood if we were paying attention to John's gospel. You see, back in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus had said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's what thieves do. And that's what Judas will do. You see, he was not only a thief... He not only helped himself to the money bag, but as verse 5 tells you, and I skipped over it when I just read it, he was about to betray Jesus. He was about to destroy Jesus. Which leads to another thing that, that may not have been obvious at the moment, but became obvious later. And that's found in Jesus' reply to Judas. Verse 7, Jesus said, leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Mary was preparing Jesus for Jesus's burial, which raises the question in John's gospel, what burial, Jesus? Well, the one that's coming because of his death. But that strikes us strange in this gospel, because unlike Mark's gospel, where Jesus three times will tell his disciples what's going to happen to Jesus when he gets to Jerusalem, Here in John's gospel, we haven't been prepared to the same degree. And we've had hints along the way. We've we've heard Jesus say in John chapter 3, So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. We've seen in John chapter 5 that the Pharisees and the scribes and the leaders, they want to put him to death. We've heard in John chapter 6 how Jesus has told us that he's giving his flesh for the life of the world, that his body will be broken and his blood will be poured out for the life of the world. We've heard in John chapter 10, Jesus say that that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But all of these hints, they pointed the disciples to the cross and they didn't understand them. But we understand now. We Here we are 2,000 years later. I mean, we understand 
all that John has been hinting at as Jesus has been making his way in the first 12 chapters of this gospel, making his way to the last night, to the upper room, and ultimately to Golgotha's hill, we understand that that Jesus would be nailed to a cross. We understand that Jesus would bear the wrath and curse of God. We understand that Jesus died on the cross so that sinners like you and me would be set free. That that there on the cross, Jesus effected a, a wonderful exchange in which our sins were placed upon Jesus and his righteousness is extended to us. And we understand that that Jesus' death on the cross wasn't simply an empty death, but rather it was the means, the way by which we might enter into abundant life, the abundant life that he promised us. One that would result not just from his death, but also from Jesus' resurrection. It may not be obvious to you that Jesus' resurrection is in this passage, but we cannot look at Lazarus without thinking about Jesus. And certainly the crowds recognized that a great miracle had happened to Lazarus. In verse 9, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Because Lazarus had been raised from the dead, the crowds wanted to see Lazarus. They wanted to see what it looked like for a man to be raised from the dead. And because they saw one who had been raised from the dead, they were believing in Jesus. That's what verse 11 tells you. On account of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. And the Jewish leaders, they too recognized that many were were believing in Jesus because Lazarus had been raised to the dead. And so their solution was to try to kill Lazarus too. That's verse 10. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. So because of the crowd's frenzy of faith, which was already told to us in the previous chapter, we discover at this point that Jewish leaders want to put Lazarus to death too. Makes you wonder if Lazarus knew that at the time. You can almost imagine him thinking, thanks Jesus, you raised me from the dead only to get me murdered. Like, wow, really? But the point here is that the the resurrection was seen as a miracle of massive proportions. To see a man raised from the dead meant that you would believe in the one who had raised him from the dead. Which means then that the disciples had to be thinking along with us about Jesus. Because as we know now, here we are 2,000 years later, as we read this gospel we know that Jesus himself would be raised from the dead. In fact, the one who raised Lazarus from the dead, from the tomb, actually was going to the place of the dead. He was going to the tomb in Lazarus's place. Lazarus was there, Jesus called him out, and Jesus goes in Lazarus' place. This is, this is the great exchange. But then, the one who raised Lazarus from the dead would himself be raised from the dead in Lazarus and our place, so that the great exchange would lead to great victory. And when we put our trust in Jesus, when we put our trust in his death and resurrection for us, as we see all of this with eyes of faith, we can can come to these places in Holy Scripture and we can say, oh, 
Now I understand. And that's also the case with Jesus' glorification. Because the very next day, the one that we call Palm Sunday, the crowd that had believed in Jesus uh, because he had raised Lazarus from the dead, they, they heard that he was coming to Jerusalem and they raced toward Jesus making a scene. They have these palm branches that they cut. And as they run out of the city to meet Jesus, they're crying the words of Psalm 118. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Here at the end of this first part of John's gospel that lasts from chapter 1 to chapter 12, we hear the crowds calling Jesus the king of Israel, but you actually heard it at the beginning too. When Jesus confronts Nathanael, and he says, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Remember what Nathaniel said? You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And so the confession that Nathaniel had on his lips, now the crowd takes that same confession on their lips. And they crown Jesus with that confession as the one who's come to do the Father's will. As the one who comes in the Lord's name. As the one who comes to give his life for the people. And Jesus enters the city and he's riding a young donkey and he's receiving the people's praises and, and requests to save. That's what Hosanna means. And the disciples didn't really understand it all at the moment. They didn't understand what it all meant, the meaning of it all. It wasn't until later when Jesus was glorified that they understood the meaning connected with the things that had been written about him and the things that had been done to him. Which means then we have to ask the question, when was Jesus glorified? If they didn't understand until Jesus was glorified, the things written about him and connected those things written about him to the things done to him, when did the disciples begin to connect the dots? When did they begin to say, oh, now I understand. Well, we'll see how that happens in the rest of John's gospel as we finish working our way through it. But I can tell you the answer now. Jesus was glorified in his death and resurrection. His glory was displayed in his dying on the cross in your place. His glory was displayed in the sweat and in the agony, in the blood and in the beating, in the God-forsakenness and the darkness. His glory was displayed as he was suspended between heaven and earth, and he cried out in Greek, Telestai, it is finished. It's all finished. Nothing more to be done. His glory was displayed when he was buried in a new tomb that belonged to Joseph of Arimathea, packed in a shroud with the same perfume that Mary had anointed him with just a week before. His glory was displayed and when he folded up the napkin that had covered his head and he took off the rest of the wrappings and laid them all on the, on the slab upon which he was laid and he rose from the dead. His glory was displayed when the angels rolled the stone back not to let Jesus out but to show all the world that he was risen just as he had said. And his glory was displayed as he, as he entered into the upper room with his disciples in a resurrection body and showed them the nail prints on his hands and, and the wound in his side and told them to believe. And Thomas would eventually fall down, my Lord and my God. 
Friends, when Jesus' glory was displayed in the cross and the empty tomb, the disciples began to put it all together, began to connect the dots between the Old Testament promises and what Jesus had done. And at that moment, they were able to say, Oh, now I understand. But what about you? What about you? As you think about your life and all the different pathways that God has taken you down, all the different successes and sorrows that you've known, all the happiness and the heartache, the broken roads as well as the well-paved ones, do you understand that, that, that God and Jesus by the Spirit has been at work in your life so that you might see that every path that you've walked, it won't and it cannot satisfy you. And God has been leading you in all of these pathways through your success and your suffering so that you will finally lift your eyes, raise them up, mount to the heavens and begin to say, oh, there's only one place where my heart can be satisfied. Only one place where I can taste a drought that would actually satisfy the deepest longings of my soul. Only one person who can do that. And his name is Jesus because he's the savior and he's the substitute, and he's the resurrected Lord, and he is the glorious king. And he comes to me as I trust in him, and he dwells in me by his spirit, and he alone can satisfy. Can you say it? Do you understand? Might you leave today, having put your trust in him yet again? Oh, oh. Now I understand. Would you pray with me, please? Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. The one who was crucified for our sins and raised for our justification. Lord, we confess that we don't fully understand. And yet by your spirit... As you have been at work in this ministry of the word through from the very call to worship to this moment and all that has been sung and all that's been said. Lord, grant us eyes to see and hearts to believe, Jesus, that you are for us. And help us by the power of your cross to know the great joy and delight and soul satisfaction that comes from you, Jesus, and from the forgiveness you have given us through your cross. Lord, grant us this grace we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to come to the